Welcome to the process of things. Does stuff work? This is episode eight, process mapping. Does it work? In this week's episode, we discuss process mapping. It seems that people either love it or they hate it. It's a lifesaver or it's a waste of time and way overcomplicated. The results are transformative or they just sit in binders. Do you need to map your processes? What would it do for you and your organization? In Act 1, we'll take you through the news. What's current with process mapping right now? In Act 2, the funnies will be very, very, very funny. As always. In Act 3, the science, we'll take the nerds through the science-y, techy, data-oriented bit behind process mapping. And in Act 4, put it to the test, we'll tell you, does process mapping actually work? I'm Nicole North. And I'm Ruth Henderson. And we're your hosts today. Welcome to the process of things where we take current business trends and buzzwords and we let you know whether they actually work or not. Act one, in the news. Process maps. Love them and hate them. Ah, who hates them, really? I hate documenting them. I like facilitating them and talking about them. That's true. Um, That might be because of your aversion to details. Yes. Yes, it is. And it's interesting, though, like process maps don't have to be super, super detailed. No. They can be very high level. They can be on the back of an envelope. Literally. Literally. I have done it sitting there with a, like a napkin. On the back of a napkin is actually a book. But I have done it on the, in, a, in a diner or in a restaurant, scratching things out like that of how it's going to work. Amazing. And it's really just because people are visual learners. Mm-hmm. And seeing a process map somehow changes the way you understand it. And Mm -hmm. when you can actually see where there's a delay or where something travels through 75 different people before it finally gets approved Mm -hmm. is a lot more impactful than just saying... Well, it's easy enough to say, well, after we do this step, we take it over here and we do that, and then it goes to this person. And that's, you know, the auditory learners or the people that are happy to read would be fine with that. It's not until you draw it and you see that, wait a minute, you take it there, but they're gone because they're doing this other step that was somewhere else. And there's no way to actually understand all the impacts unless you draw it out. And that's what a process map is. It's just a picture of all the steps involved in doing things, in doing the thing. It's It's a picture of you doing the thing. Okay, but now people are actually picturing you, Nicole, sitting at a desk doing something. It could be. It could be. You know what I mean? It could be a bunch of little cartoons showing what I'm doing at each step. That's right. Yeah. It could be that creative aspect of it. People often think of it, I think, in very um, rigid terms that somebody's used, you know, infographics or Visio to create this really super complicated map, which it can be, but doesn't have to be. Yeah. What's in the news with process maps these days? It's well, kind of like Six Sigma, is it yeah. passe? <laughs> no, it's never passe. In fact, it was almost hard to find any news on process mapping because it was all training opportunities. People clearly want training in how to do process mapping, um, in which case we're in the wrong business because there's a huge opportunity to train people and it's really not that hard. But we do that. We do do it. It's just um, that if people think it has to be super complicated, it's not. It's oh. not. So if I can do it, well, yeah, but you like to draw as well. You're very good at it. Um, and you're, although you don't like nitpicky details of drawing things in a, in software, you love uncovering 
the nitpicky details. Mm-hmm. You like for that someone stuff. else to document. For someone else to document, right? <laughs> so a couple of things that I found that were interesting online um, was one article um, from that business2community.com site, which is always kind of cool, and it talks about um, process mapping and why you should bother with process mapping. So clearly, right off the bat, it's in favor of process mapping, and I liked um, that it was talking about quoting Frank Gilbreth uh, from the twenties. And uh, he said that in order to improve what it is that you want to do, you first have to understand all the processes that are going on. So it's taking stock of your processes before you actually start to do anything. And he said, um, there's a quote that they had from him, which I really liked. Every detail of a process is more or less affected by every other detail. Therefore, the entire process has to be presented in such a form that it can be visualized all at once before any of the changes are made to any of its subdivisions. So what do you think that actually means? Because that's very wordy. It means you need to see your entire process from end to end, from start to finish, before you can start trying to optimize any little piece of it. Mm-hmm. What's that favorite term oh, you I love? Oh, I can't remember. Sub-optimization? Sub-optimization fallacy. Yeah, Yeah. that means that um, people may, with the best of intentions, fix their own uh, job, their own role, their own tasks. They know how they could do it better, and so they're going to make it more efficient. They fail to see the impact, either upstream or downstream, to other people in their organization, that that change may upset different processes elsewhere and may actually be designed in a certain way uh, on purpose. So they think they're doing something great, and in fact, they don't. I use a super simplistic idea, um, example of that. Somebody takes uh, a bunch of papers and their sole task is to staple them in the upper right corner of the, the stack of papers. And um, so one day they decide, well, actually, I'm left-handed, so it's a lot faster if I staple them in the upper left-hand corner because I'll be able to do a lot more in an hour because I'm naturally left-handed. That sounds optimal. It does sound optimal, except three people down the process step, they have a machine that only takes uh, staples in the upper right-hand corner, and it will break if it's anywhere else. So the person who thought they were making an optimization and could do so many more basically just caused a problem for the person who had to... Which then caused a machine to break, which then broke, uh, which then caused a backlog. And we all get to go home. Yay! Yay. (laughs) Well, that's the bad thing. And so people think all the time that they're doing things that are really helpful without understanding the bigger picture and the impact that that tiny little change, the butterfly effect, has on the rest of the project or the process. So that was one thing. He, he ended the article by saying um, that just visualizing processes doesn't necessarily mean changing them, which I think is very cool. Oh, so you're saying even if we map them, we may decide not to change them. Yeah. I actually had this converse, exact conversation with a new client today, and uh, we were talking about um, the need to uh, understand what we've got so that we can look at the important things and focus on them rather than fixing every single tiny little thing that we needed to understand the, um, again, where the biggest impact was of what we wanted to work on. So, you know, she still wanted to um, map things and take a look at them, but she may not change it once at the end of the day. She may look at it, decide not to change it, but she did that on purpose knowing risks of not changing it, knowing um, that there's still an opportunity to do it, but she just decided, with all the information at hand, not to do it. 
just like the guy said at the beginning, you've got to look at it end to end before you do anything. That's right. And we had a client recently for whom they thought their process was broken. And in fact, it wasn't their processes that was that were broken. Their processes worked well yeah. for the scenario that they did. They just mm-hmm. didn't have protocols or parameters or mm-hmm. kind of strict rigor around them. Mm-hmm. The other article that I found was from itwire.com and they talked about how business process mapping is plagued by variations. Now, if any of you were listening last week when we talked about Lean Six Sigma, we talked about um, how variation is something that we want to control and process mapping is one way to show when there's lots and lots of variation. So um, this one is this concept is saying that, you know, we have a process, we've designed it and it works really well. And then we roll it out across maybe all of our branches and our divisions across the province or across the country. And each one of those locations is what we what we like to call a special snowflake. Everybody loves a special snowflake. Everybody loves a special snowflake. So they just, you know, they take the process and they just twist it because... Because we're here and in Toronto, things are different. Things are different. You know, insert Vancouver, insert Winnipeg, insert Moncton, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, we're different here and we have to do things differently. And maybe they are. Again, no one has taken a look at the bigger picture. So when you do business process mapping, it allows you to get to a certain step and say, okay, you've taken all the paperwork in, what do you do next? Uh, Well, next we review the paper for accuracy. Okay. Oh, but wait, in Moncton, we don't do that first. We actually do that last because it's more efficient at the end of the process. Well, that's typically why people end up having to have process mapping. So what happens is they launch this process province-wide or nationwide, Mm -hmm. every single province becomes a special snowflake Mm -hmm. and adds their own unique twist, their own flair, Mm -hmm. their own best practices, their own Mm -hmm. efficiency opportunities. And suddenly what started out as one process over many many provinces Mm -hmm. is now X number of different processes. Have you ever heard of people calling in to a company and saying, just keep calling and hanging up until one of the operators waives your initiation fee or your activation fee or gives you a credit? Because some of them will do it. My friend, one of my friend's husbands apparently has had um, near, near, near free cable for many years because they've found the trick in... Yeah. Not in, in canceling it and going to retention. Yeah. Well, there is a trick. So that's for sure there. And it's even worse in that um, different. So when you call a big company there, if they're a big size company, they have many offices probably across the country or nowadays around the world. And each one of those has tweaked because they're special snowflakes. They have tweaked it. They either have different levels of empowerment or they just do things differently. So the customer knows that they can just keep keep calling until they get a different answer. And that's so unfair for the agent sitting in Vancouver who's following the rules versus the agent sitting in Montreal who has a much more lax process and they end up with a happier customer at the end of their call. Hmm. So business process variation is a huge issue that is uncovered by processes. And uh, it's still important to look at the end-to-end picture. So that's what the news is talking about today. Neat. Act two, the funnies. (laughs) My favorite process mapping experience was with an organization we worked uh, with in the Ontario Public Service, and they hired us because they felt that their human resource reps were neither skilled 
nor did they have the appropriate job classification in order to have the right skills or do the things that were required to fulfill the process end to end. And they were certain that they either had poor staff, poorly trained staff, not highly classified enough staff. So not smart enough in their view. Yeah, not smart enough, not paid well enough to do the right things and do things with um, appropriate authority. Um, What was causing them to think they had a problem? Was it taking a long time? It was delays. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think it was delays in the process that Mm -hmm. the recipients of the service, so the managers who were attempting to try and hire staff or make staff changes, were saying that the HR team was really slow, that they were delaying things. Mm -hmm. And so the uh, leader of the organization had basically said, I need you to come in here and map these processes, but kind of off the cuff said, we all know we just need to upgrade this classification. Oh. Basically kind of, you know. We figured it out, but urging just us. draw it anyway to show that these people don't have the experience enough to do this job properly. Yes. Nice. And it was fascinating. So then we go and start drawing the process. Um, and this was one of the most dramatic process mapping sessions I'd ever had in terms of what it visually showed. So it literally visual, it showed forms traveling from these HR um, assistants, HR teams, and going up through the ranks for approval to a supervisor, to a manager, to someone else, to a director, to an assistant deputy wow. minister, going through all approval those layers of approvals. And it was at the most senior level, at the top level, that person was making very rote changes to the documents. I'm talking um, uh, job code IDs. Ew, uh, at the really, top level. At the top level, they were making those kinds of changes, salary changes, anything like that, and then sending it all the way back through the channels just to get sent off. So the person who actually drafted the document saw the changes but didn't understand why they were being made. They weren't told why this was changing, and then they sent it off. So they just keep making that same mistake because someone else is correcting for them anyway. Well, yeah. Why would I try hard oh, man. when I know that someone is going to correct it along the line? Mm-hmm. And I don't even know who's correcting it. All I know is that when I get back the signed form, it's perfectly correct, and I send it off. Wow. I may not even know I made a mistake. Wow. So not only were they not empowered, they, they may not have even known. And those simple, simple, simple documents were going to the highest level of the organization. So of course, they were doing a little bit of that lean waste of sitting there and waiting until the the senior leader actually had time to look at those documents. Mm -mm -mm. It's fascinating. Oh, wow. (laughs) And kind of funny. It was really funny. (laughs) I don't think that senior leader was very happy. I don't think they thought that. I don't think they were very happy when we revealed that it was actually them that was the root of the problem, not their staff. Um, I have a funny story that's less, uh, it was less impactful, but kind of cool. I don't think they would mind. It was um, Ministry of Natural Resources. It must've been impactful. You tell this story all the time. I do, because it's one of my favorites. And I really enjoyed, um, it was when I first started with the government and I was out on the road um, visiting a lot of different uh, Ministry of Natural Resources or MNR offices and got to see all kinds of really neat things when I was out there. And one of the things they asked uh, for me to do was help them with mapping some of their processes. And they had, I'm going to forget the number, but it was something like 55 or 57 different processes 
uh, for people at their counters where people would go in and request hunting and fishing licenses or things like that. So I thought there was a heck of a lot of work ahead for 57 processes. And it was kind of cool because at the end of the day, there were a fraction of that. I always say there were three. I'm not, I don't remember. It's like six or seven years ago. So there might've been, you know, between five and 10, but there was significantly less. And the only reason that they thought there were 57 was because at step, you know, pick a number, step 25, when uh, so-and-so was coming in for a hunting license, they could be hunting for a bear, a deer, a moose, a raccoon, a ground squirrel, uh, you know, it's like, it's incredible the number of things that they could get hunting licenses for. And, um, so at that point, that step had that you had to pick out a different license from a piece of paper, right? Because it would be a bear license or a moose license. So they had mapped each of those separately because they were all getting a different piece of paper when in fact it was the same process, but just depending on step 25, you might grab this piece of paper or that piece of paper. And so they were really concerned about process work because they thought it was going to be so much work. And then when they realized that it wasn't that bad, it was a whole different story. <laughs> process mapping can be fun. I won't tell you about the time I was standing behind the counter and somebody came in asking for a bear license and I got really upset. <laughs> the manager at the counter asked me to leave. <laughs> Because I didn't get upset with the person, but I started to get, you know, watery eyed because this guy was going to hunt for a bear and they were making jokes about it and I couldn't handle it. So I had to leave. Oh dear. Not the way. Get it? it? Oh dear. Oh. (laughs) You're bad. Act three, the science. So process mapping. Um, The science behind process mapping is not all that difficult. It's It's just like a... Workflow diagram. It's, yeah, you could call it a workflow diagram. Some people block flow diagram. Oh, block flow diagram. People have different ways to describe it, and really, all it is is taking the steps that you do to do something and putting it in a box on a piece of paper and drawing lines from box to box and having decision points in it. It is, it is designed literally to put uh, actions into a picture that depict all the different possible uh, dependencies, bottlenecks, um, uh, barriers to completing something, or even those nuances where special snowflakes have decided to do something differently. And that's because when we do process mapping, we have three different kinds of processes. So so we, we can go in and we can say, let's say we're going to go work with managers in an organization and we ask them what the process is for doing something and they tell us and we work with them and we draw it. And then we go and work with the people that are actually doing the work. They often have a really different perspective. They're like, that's what I think my manager, my manager thinks I do. Yeah, that's what they think we do. They have no idea. So we put that down sometimes to tribal knowledge. You know, when people have been doing things a long time, they naturally start to improve things, sometimes for the better and sometimes, as we said earlier, for the worse. Um, but that's that means that the managers, what they think is a current state process or an as-is process is what we call a thought-to-be. And that part's amazing when we facilitate. One of my you know, favorite things during a process is as people are telling you, we're saying, okay, tell us about the current state. Tell us exactly what you're doing now. They'll start using language like, well, it should be over here and it should go over yeah. there and it should, and we'll always correct them and say, well, 
That's great. Where does it go now? Where does it go? And they have to like, you know, shake their heads around and go, oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. And they constantly want to be making improvements or telling us what it's supposed to look like in an ideal world. And when they finally get talking about what's actually happening, then uh, the floodgates open. The floodgates open, yeah. you know, and they're like, wow, sometimes I do this and sometimes I do that. And who knows when Depends I do that. Depends if it's Tuesday. And yeah. it's, um, I, I love that, those sessions, because you end up with a process map that's really messy. I used to say I like it because it looks like the dog's breakfast. It's just a mess on a piece of paper. And people can automatically see um, things that are obviously wrong. That, well, this can't go there. It does, but it shouldn't. And that's silly. And, you know, they're dying to make improvements because people naturally, you know, most people want to do a good job. And so they want to fix things. And they didn't know until you show them as picture what's wrong. So you've got the thought to be from the manager's perspective. And so that's very eye opening. And then you've got the as is of what people are really doing, which is also eye opening. And then you work together with them on should should be on thinking about that future. And you're an expert in facilitating process mapping workshops. Um, what do you think the key is in getting people to be able to shift and say what things are in the current state and then switch to what should be in the future state? Hmm. What is the key? The key to an effective process mapping workshop. I think the key to an effective process mapping workshop is to keep that focus, right? Mm -hmm. And to listen for that special language, listen Mm -hmm. for that, um, how people characterize their work and what's supposed to happen here. And Sally is supposed to sand it this way, right? And then you go, oh, 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 you know, you hear that word supposed to or should, and you say, let's clarify. What does that really mean? Yeah. What does that really... So tell us what happens there. Yeah, so then people kind of have to pause and think. And then, you know, then you might have a bunch of people. Someone might say, well, I do it like this. Someone else might pipe up with the same role and say, well, I don't do it like that. I do it like this. And then they might even start talking and realizing that they've just found a process improvement opportunity, that they just had a best practice that they could have shared with one another, but because those two roles don't often sit and talk about their day-to-day work, they never... So the the process of process mapping isn't just, I know, it isn't just science-y because we are addressing visual learners and their... Oh, heck no. It has an element of people getting to know each other better and having conversations they should have been having anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the magic of a process mapping session is just the fact that there are people in the room all talking about their work in a way that they've never spoken about it before. Yeah. With a specific topic. Let us talk about exactly what you do and put what you do into little boxes in order. And somehow that reframing in their mind gets you away from what you typically talk about when you get together as a group. What's going wrong? what happened, what, how we're going to fix this problem, instead of just talking about the work and then seeing what's going wrong or what's going right. Mm. What, what do you think then um, people would most want a process workshop for? Do they want it for the minutia, detail, you know, click, put the arrow here, click here, enter your information, or do they want it for the great big stuff? Like, what do they want? What do they want? The great big stuff. Uh-huh. 
What did they get? I think they get a better, more efficient process mm-hmm. that isn't necessarily mind blowing. Yeah. Like we didn't just take this process and flip it on its head and do it completely in the reverse. Sometimes it's some, some very simple, basic changes that no one noticed before yeah. that suddenly make people's day to day easier. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, Ruth, you always ask this question, what's the one thing that if you could wave a magic wand, you would fix. And they yeah. would say the return policy, the return policy is impossible. And they will go on and on and yeah. on and on. And we just go, guess what? We can change the return policy. Yeah. And you know, they, they seem overjoyed and then they shift into let's do it like this and let's do it. And like suddenly you get from a group that may have been disengaged, frustrated, non-communicative, you now have this animated group of people who are excited, motivated, engaged, inspired, suddenly have way more commitment to their job than you've ever seen before. And it's because you've taken the time to allow them to work through their process in a facilitated way. So you're, when you're saying that people do process mapping, then it's most effective if they do it in a group of people or can they do it on their own? Oh, I think I think the magic of process mapping is through a workshop mm-hmm. where you have everyone in one room saying, no, that's not how it works. Yes, it is. Oh my gosh, that's how it works now? I didn't even know that changed. That's the, yeah. the magic of it all. And when you get that excitement of people who want to write down 10,001 ideas of how to improve things mm-hmm. and that they're suddenly committed to it versus how to people classically do change in an organization is, you know, the big cheese um, comes in and says, uh, we're going to do this because this is the strategic plan for this year and this is what we should do, so we're going to automate everything. Mm-hmm. There. Mm-hmm. And no one is engaged and everyone hates it. Yeah. So a workshop allows people to self-diagnose, self-recognize that there is a problem and then be part of the solution. Yeah, I mean, the big cheese could recognize there's a problem. Yeah. The people that need to define that problem and and really dig out the information and and draw the picture are the people actually doing the work the the thing that i think is kind of funny is that process mapping could be dangerous in the wrong hands you could have somebody who thinks they know how a process works and they draw it out themselves and they don't get the people that are doing the work together they don't validate it with their best intention i've drawn it out myself i know what needs to be fixed so i'm going to fix it I've worked with a lot of consultants in the past or even organizations that have said, don't workshop the process. Um, Come in with a straw model and let us pick it apart. It just doesn't work the same. It doesn't create the same vibe. It then um, creates this um, sense of animosity between Mm -hmm. the participants and the, the consultant or the facilitator because they're picking apart something that you did. And you didn't do it with any ill intent. You, you just were trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. The magic comes from that group coming together and figuring out what the current state is. And that group together saying, oh, we see it now. All the problems are here. Or yeah. I see a bottleneck here. Or I see why, this, why you do it this way and why I do it that way. I never even realized mm-hmm. that. That is the magic of change. Oh, we've heard people in workshops say, you do it that way? Since when do you do it that way? Oh, I've always done it this way. Well, where do you document that? Oh, I keep a spreadsheet over here. What? You don't put it in the system? Was I supposed to? I mean, these are people that have 
you know, done the best job that they can for years and they're finding things that are wrong. Imagine Sally and I could have gone to a process mapping session. You bringing Sally forward from the last podcast. For those of you who didn't listen to the last podcast, Sally is an elf in Santa's workshop who sands her toys poorly. (laughs) And Nicole is convinced that Sally is lazy. But until we've drawn the process out, we don't know what Sally's actually doing. I realize it's actually Peter and his cutting mechanism. <laughs> yeah. Act four, putting it to the test. Um, I got a couple stories of when it worked and when it didn't really work. I, I have to say that I don't know too many examples when process mapping doesn't work. Um, I would say that the the story I have is an organization that um, is a very big organization and they loved process mapping. They had a lot of engineers, they had a lot of people who were really skilled at process maps and they mapped everything and did nothing with those maps. They mapped it. Shoved them in a binder. Shoved them, literally. in a. They printed them off and put them, because they had the great big paper. They loved their printer that had this huge paper (laughs) as well. And um, they they printed it off. I think part of it was audit. Part of it was because there were people who just liked mapping. And they just put them in binders. So, you know, the process mapping worked in that they had a record of a process, which, by the way, when we saw them was years old. So they hadn't been updating them. There's no way they were modern or relevant. And there was relevant. no way anyone was doing that process Mm-mm. the way it was documented. No, no. Because there was no consultation or no. really finding out how people were doing this things. This was a, a really... It was, a, it was an engineering process designed to be innovative, um, to capture creative ideas, to design future products, and to test those future products for... Um, reality, logistics, mechanical issues, all those sorts of things. And that process when we were there was different from person to person to person. For sure. So the maps were there, but they did nothing with them. So in that case, I would say um, the fundamental process mapping activity failed because they didn't do anything with it. So process mapping fails when you just take the maps and shove them away and don't look at them or use them. Yeah. And that goes the same. I mean, people can hire us and we'll do all the process maps and we'll show them a current state and we'll innovate a future state. But if no one actually leads that to fruition, those maps just go in a binder and that can be pointless too. It makes me think of another client that um, we've been working with and they've been asking us to do some process mapping as well. And it's worked for them, but not in the way they thought. So um, they've got some management in there who are really good forward thinkers They've taken a look at process mapping work that's been done in the past because a lot of organizations have that failed activity of simply process mapping for process mapping's sake. I get sick when we go in and I find out like oh, so yeah. many months later that they did this map just two years ago yeah. and they hired someone else to go in and do it again. I'm yeah. Going, wow. So they had that information. We got to use that and build off of that, which was great. So we didn't have to completely reinvent the wheel or start from scratch. Um, and I think that people were su- expecting that there needed to be some real process improvements and they were going to find some things that were truly broken. And the cool thing was that we found a couple things that we recommended tweaking to make a little more, in- more efficient. The biggest thing was adding clarification in some of the process steps. So when people said, well, I, s- I then document this or I do this step, 
they had differences of opinion in what it meant to document something. And who to include. And who to include. How to communicate, how to document, and how to um, establish protocols or uh, criteria around decision points. So some people would say, well, at this point, I decide whether to proceed or not. And we said, based on what? And the answer was, well, my experience, which is fine until that person retires. So we were able to do some great mapping for them. We had a really engaged workshop. They were wonderful. They validated things for us. We recommended a couple of tweaks, but mostly what we recommended was the protocols for documentation, communication, and decision-making. So that was really cool uh, that it worked, not in the way they expected. Oh, I have one more story Okay, of a time that process mapping really worked. Fire away. So you know how I'm late all the time? I do know how you're late all the time. <laughs> and it's really not an exaggeration. <laughs> I would say, you know, 90% of the time? I am getting better. You I'm are. much, much you better. Are. At least you let me know when you're going to be late. So that's yes. awesome. Yes, I've come to some big, <laughs> big realizations. Um, but one of the things I noticed is I was late all the time in the morning. And so I started to analyze it from a process methodology. I said, there has to be something here. What is it? Mm -hmm. So I started looking at all the different steps in my wake up process. So the very first step was the moment that the alarm went off. And on the days that I was late, I inevitably snoozed two or more times. Maybe any time I snoozed, I was inevitably late. So um, that was a process issue. Um, anytime that I changed my clothes, three or four times, like I wasn't satisfied with the outfit that I was wearing, mm -hmm. that that caused me to be late. You know, I went on and on. And the rest of the processes were about the same, right? You know, my showers didn't have any variability. They were about the same time. Drying my hair, washing my hair, doing all those things just had a normal time frame. They didn't vary. But waking up had a huge variability in it, as did putting on what my, whatever my outfit was. So I tried to find two process improvements that could fix that. So the first was I moved my alarm clock um, away from my bed so mm -hmm. that I could not snooze. Mm -hmm. um, and that prevented me from snoozing and allowed me to actually just wake up and go. Uh, and the second one is if I always laid out an outfit the night before. And there was a caveat to this. It just couldn't be any outfit. Like I couldn't just try something new. If I were to lay out an outfit in in advance, it had to be tried and tested. Yeah, that you but knew I, you'd like it. I and knew I would like it, it the next morning that I would feel okay in it. And that those were two process improvements and they have revolutionized <laughs> your morning, my morning uh -uh. and, and my you drew that out, you mapped it out. Yeah. But just simply on a napkin, well, like just very quickly. Thing. Yeah. I mean, that's a great story because we talk about formal process mapping workshops. It can also help people in their everyday life. Like, what is taking me so long? Yeah. And if you actually look at all the steps, it can really uncover some interesting stuff. Yeah. So in closing, the news says that process mapping pays off. It, mm -hmm. it works. It no does matter, work. No matter how, how you use it. The science says that people learn through visual representation and actually seeing something on paper is very, very different from just talking about it or writing yeah. it in a procedure format in yeah. words. We say that we've never seen process mapping not work unless you just throw it on the shelf. in a binder yeah. on a shelf. Survey says? Totally works. If you're open, you have the right fit. Yeah. You know that you want to do something with it. You have a 
you have a, a bigger agenda, a plan, right? You want to yeah. do so. I'm not just doing this because the audit requirements say that I need to, or certification for ISO says that I need and to. And you've got someone who's going to champion it yeah. and really like lead it and take it through. Mm-hmm. It always goes back to culture. Always. Right? Yeah. This. <gasps> oh, that was drum a drum roll. roll. Ouch. Yes. Sorry, my rings hit. This is our final episode for the season. <gasps> season one is in the bag. Next season, we will be tackling an entire season of difficult conversations. Difficult, so different languages or what? No, like difficult conversations with you and a peer, (gasps) with you and your manager, with your manager and a staff, with anyone. So avoiding things is bad and you're saying we should actually talk about things? All right. How to tell someone they suck. Oh, that's not nice. How to tell someone they smell. In the nicest possible way. And not feel terrible about it. Because there's, you know, two different sides to having difficult conversations. Some people love it and some people would rather crawl under the table. Mm -hmm. So we will teach you some cool tips on how to have these super, super tough conversations. Mm -hmm. If you have any feedback on what you'd like to hear, some tough conversations you've had to have, um, give us a shout on Twitter at whiteboardcons. And you can also visit us on our website at www.whiteboardconsulting.ca. Thank you to our awesome, awesome collaborator and editor, Jason Hatcher, creative director and visual designer, for your vision and support in the production of this podcast. You can check him out at www.digitalanalog.ca. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>